0: Okay, I told the first service that uh, we've got a very spiritual pastor who's not here today, Pastor Jeff, because when it gets to be 20 degrees, he's in Florida. Very smart man. If I could call up Chris and Jacob, we're going to do a little family room chat here first of all. You know, we've been in this series called Remnant, and I want to take a cut at Remnant today. but. For those who have been here a while, you know that Jeff's been pulling out these kind of figures and stories that aren't commonplace. They're not on the main path. People with names like Shamgar and Obadiah, Rahab. Today we're going to talk about us as a remnant, um, unnamed people. Even more so the story that we'll talk about in the scriptures goes that route. Because sometimes being a remnant isn't doing some new initiative, or, making some big step of faith, sometimes it 's in the commonplace of day to day living, behind closed doors of houses in workplaces that you prove yourself to be a remnant and Jacob and Chris have a story of that, I believe, and we 're going to get in touch with it a little bit so I, I know these guys from Life Group involved here at the church, and Jacob recently in a men 's development group, and i 'm going to let you uh, hear their story a little bit at least most recently so They've uh, had some tension, very real tension, in the last couple of years, and I'm going to let Chris start off tell us a little bit about that.
1: Um, yeah, I guess it all started probably when we first decided to move back home here to Ohio, um, but it was kind of kicked into high gear, I guess, when we realized we had to supplement Jacob's teaching salary. So we kind of embarked on this new adventure of being business owners. Um, Jacob is incredibly talented man who I knew would be (laughs) would be great in this new adventure Um, but he also um, he's very, I knew because he was so good it was gonna probably hard to balance everything Um, and quickly we realized that um, the job started off slowly and it it went well but as things picked up um, it's hard for him to say no so we started getting pretty busy and um, I guess we just had to decide how to balance our old roles with our new ones. And mm-hmm. I think in that process, we just, yeah, I think the lines get a little blurred maybe, mm-hmm. and um, we started being more, uh, losing that side of being kingdom thinking and really relying on God every day uh, mm-hmm. to get us through everything.
0: Good. Well described. So God gets their attention, so to speak, and that there's a new phase of life and He could do some things different, but He keeps the attention on the fact that, well, wait a minute, I don't want to go too far too intense to take out of balance some things that i really have a heart to keep in balance so jacob tell us how you guys communicate your way through that balanced one another what were some of
2: the intentions that maybe didn't get followed through on uh... just to give you kind of a little bit more of a backdrop on the past year and how we got to be where we are right now as chris mentioned um, i had embarked on a remodeling business and um, about a year ago, Ron had approached me to be a part of this men's group and at the time I was probably, you know, I don't it was January, it was about six to eight months booked out with jobs and, and um, I used the analogy earlier that Ron's request was kind of like the corn casserole of Thanksgiving where your plate is completely full and you see it there at the end and it, it kind of looks good, you know, I, you know maybe, I'll, maybe I'll try it. And uh, I decided that, you know, instead of kind of emptying some of the things on my plate, I just kind of added the corn casserole onto it and um, uh, so we met and we, we mapped out about six months of when our, our meeting dates were going to be and uh, I'm thinking to myself, there's just, I have no idea how I'm going to fit this into my schedule. I've got all these other important things that I've got to take care of. Um, to add to the stress, my dad had passed away that May, um, which shook our, our lives up quite a bit. Um, summer came and uh, as Chris mentioned I, I'm a school teacher and uh, summertime is my busy time um, you know anywhere from 10 to 20 projects going on at the same time and I I'm an all or none type of guy and I'm one that kind of makes commitments and then tries to figure out later on how to fulfill <laughs> those commitments um, so our story is probably not unlike a lot of people in here um, but I realized that I was beginning to start seeing a lot of the gaps in my life, a lot of the gaps in my relationship with my wife, with my kids, and most importantly with God. I was missing a lot of, a lot of things. Um, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. It was right there in front of me. And, um, you know, I'd kind of filled my jar up, you know, to use the rocks, marbles, and sand. I'd completely filled it with sand. The small, unimportant things in life um, that can completely consume you. And like you mentioned, Ron, I had good intentions. It wasn't, I wasn't purposely not seeking the Lord or I wasn't purposely alienating myself from my family and my kids. I was only focusing on the financial aspect of what God calls us as husbands to do, just that financial provision part of it. And I was completely missing the mark. And I told Chris as, at the end of the summer that in order for me to make this work, the way that I operate, I have to completely... I have to completely walk away from it. I have to completely stop. And it was a, it was a, a big decision for us, and it was a hard decision. Um, but I completely emptied my jar full of sand, and uh, it was about this uh, this fall when school started back up. And I slowly started, you know, I, I filled my rocks in first. You know, I, I focused on my relationship with God and 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 my wife and my family, and then started putting the marbles back in, which is my, you know, my teaching career, my my church family, my friendships. Um, and, you know, there's still room for sand. I'm still going to be able to fit that in there, but I'm, I'm putting my focus in the important things and what God really calls us to be as men of mission. Um, and, and the change has been absolutely nothing short of, of amazing. It's really been a fantastic few months for us, and we're excited for what 2014 holds for us. I've learned how to <laughs> use a washing machine <laughs> and cook some dinners and stuff. So. Um, it's been a lot of fun and uh so we're excited for what 2014 holds for us. Great.
0: So Chris finishes off by talking about the it's been amazing. What's been the good product of the change and yet what's still the tension that's there for you guys?
1: Um nothing ever, ever is magical, you know, it doesn't just instantly change, but I felt like um everything really did just it was such a release to be able to see um, the changes in Jacob and in me. Um, this happened over you know a few years of of us you know kind of going back and forth. So, um, but as a wife, I was going through changes too and relying on God. And I just I had to be patient and wait on the Lord. Um, I knew that that God had begun this amazing work in my husband many years ago, um, and I knew I just had to stand on Philippians one six that says you know that. Be confident in this, that he who's begun a work, good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion. And I knew that I just had to wait, and I just had to be patient, as I knew that God was going to fulfill on this promise, and that he's fulfilling that through both of us now, and that he's going to be working in and through us, and um, just working in our family. I'm just excited about what God is doing. Um, of course, there's always there's the old tensions of coming back, but it's neat how we can really put all of that at the Lord's feet and trust him um, because we're taking every step, every day at a time, relying on his, his purpose for us. And we're excited how he is just helping us to further God's kingdom together.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. Good job. Thank you. <clears throat> so we're going to talk a little bit this morning through an Old Testament story. about tension, how it relates to God getting our attention, working through our good intentions, and then helping us to retain who he is and how he works. So I want to take you back in time, do a little history. You know, this week, if you've been paying attention to the news media, you've been getting some history. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, 150 years ago, celebrated this past week. John F. Kennedy A historical marker, a a horrible time, an assassination 50 years ago. And then if you're an Ohio State Buckeye fan like myself, there was a celebration of 40 years ago, 1973, when I was but a punky eight-year-old. I still remember it, though. I don't remember Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. You, You okay with that? Ohio State was given the privilege to go to the Rose Bowl even though they tied the last game with Michigan. On a vote from the athletic directors of the Big Ten, which was improbable because they had gone the year before and gotten beat, and for Ohio State fans we were blown away with surprise that they actually got picked to go. And they won. And so that was being commemorated on some of the sports networks. I'm gonna give you my own history today about the story we're getting in. I need to give you backdrop, and it's up here on the screen. We're gonna go clear back to get some context. In fourteen fifty BC was the time of Moses leading the Exodus. The God's chosen people out of Egypt. You bump ahead to about 1,000 B.C. And, and Israel, the Jews are really established. In fact, they're powerful in the world. And they've got this great king, King David. It's the height of the Jewish people around 1,000 B.C. But then we read that after Solomon, his son, builds a temple to kind of commemorate and bring a symbol of God's presence with them, in their chosen place, that they start to falter. They start to be disobedient. They start to link with other people and other gods. And they fall. They fall, first of all, the northern kingdom called Israel to Assyria in 720. And not too long later, in 586, the southern kingdom, Judah, with the primary holy city, Jerusalem, falls to the Babylonians. Babylonians. And at that time, Jeremiah, the prophet, we don't have time to go through all the Bible history on this, but he prophesied to the nations at that time to say, there's going to be a 70-year period in here where you're going to be held captive. And God wants you to go and live in that situation in a holistic way. Get married, have jobs, bless the city of the pagan people that you'll be in. But I will pull you out of that. I will do it. And so that brings us to 538 and how he did it. He appointed a new rulership in the world. The Persians were the great power. And they had a leader named Cyrus. And Cyrus had this interesting way of being a leader. If you read the Annals of History, both biblically and then outside of the Bible, he was a guy that thought, you know, the best way to hold people captive and under your rule is to give them some privileges, like their religion. Let them have a piece of that. So I'm going to let these people go on back to their holy land. And the other way he thought was, gosh, it sure doesn't hurt you to get as many gods on your side as you possibly can if you want to stay in power. And so for all the people that are under our rule, I'm going to give favors to them and their gods because those gods then will be on my side. He wasn't a believer. He just thought if you could add up as many gods to your favor, then that was going to help your political clout and world power. And that's the scene we're on as we enter this story today. We're at this point of this remnant, this people has been brought back to Jerusalem. And they've been there 16 to 18 years. And their task was to rebuild the temple when they got back. And it's not done. In fact, they're not even working on it. And God sends a prophet, Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah were contemporary prophets. We're just going to look at Haggai today and find out what is it that he said. What is it that Haggai said? So a little more context before we look at a opening verse from the book of haggai is that what he said initially to these people was that you guys have been distracted you're caring for your own needs before those of god you're self-serving you're out of line see they were experiencing some lack of harvest things weren't working out real well there was persecution from neighboring towns and people and they were kind of bewildered like god's got this neat thing going we're back here and this prophet comes says yeah you're back there but instead of tending to the primary thing of re-establishing the symbol of his presence by building the temple, you're building your own houses, fixing up your own stuff, worrying about your kid's education, worrying about taking care of the grandparents, your hobbies, your work, your car. Sounds a little bit like how I can be sometimes. God's called me to something making him first and foremost the priority in a specific thing or in general, and, and I'm distracted. I got a lot of stuff to do, God. And when I get that all in, lined up and settled down, then, then I'll fit you in. And Haggai calls him out and says, God sees that. He knows what you're doing. You're not about the primary thing. And then we go to the passage I want to look at here, Haggai chapter 2. Verse 1 through 3. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheotiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? First of all, he calls them a remnant. That's what I was trying to say with having Jacob and Chris up here and talking about the common man remnant. We don't have the names of this people. They're just called the remnant. They're a group like we sit here this morning. But he gives them that name. They're the ones that remain. They're the ones that are supposed to stay in tune with God. But he asks him these rhetorical questions because he knows what's going on with them as they build this temple. It's the same thing that another portion of the Bible that talks to the same period and the same people in the book of Ezra, he has the same notion. It says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, when they looked at this foundation of the temple and the building project, who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. You see what you had going on is you had some people that came back. That were the very ones that had been taken out of captivity, and they're the older people. But they saw Solomon's temple before it was destroyed by the Babylonians, and it was glorious. It's where they did their religion, their ritual, and where they met with God and celebrated their uniqueness as Jewish people. But it's no more. And the old people look on to this work that's trying to get going, that's stagnant, that's hit and miss, and they say, ah. Oh this makes me cry because this thing isn't like what we used to have and it's never going to be. The young people look on and say, hey, God's doing something here. But this this part of the remnant that's discouraged that Haggai wants to speak to, they've got a false nostalgia. That's what it is. It's a false nostalgia. It's kind of like their forefathers who actually thought going back to Egypt was better than being on A journey with God, not knowing where your food was coming for the next day. A God who was parting Red Seas and supplying for them. They still look back with a false nostalgia and said, ah, but it was kind of back there in Egypt. Yeah, we were under captivity, but at least we knew we had food every day and where it was coming from. Or it's kind of like the uh, old athletes that I hang around sometimes. Maybe you've experienced this. So we'll, we'll be around some young bucks and the old guys are sitting around and The attention isn't on the young guys and what they're doing as much as it's the old bucks who tend to relive nostalgically their days and it's kind of like the older they get, the better they were. (laughs) They keep getting better with every recount of the story in terms of their performance and what they were able to do. They, They have a nostalgia that's not exactly accurate. I found a little story that kind of depicts this, I think, in a whimsical form, the idea that we kind of want to go backward in life sometimes we want to live in the past and there's nothing wrong with the past God uses the past, he wants us to remember especially the things he's done to give us foundation and strength to move in the present and look to a future but this story kind of captures the downside and lack of reality of this, it says life is tough it takes up a lot of your time all your weekends and what do you get at the end of it I think that the life cycle is all backward, you see, you should die first, get it out of the way. Then you live 20 years in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch, you go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college, you you party there until you're ready for high school. And you go to grade school. You become a little kid. You have no responsibilities. You become a little baby. And you go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating. And you finish up as a gleam in somebody's eye. It's not reality. But some people want to live backwards. They want to go back to something that they wish God would return to what it once was. Let's bring it into our reality. I've run into this false nostalgia at times with myself, but with people I work. I work in ministry, do mentoring and coaching and discipling people in the business context. And I find these oftentimes with people when they get to a place where they trust me and they'll be real with what's going on, they have some false nostalgia. Sometimes it's in the stage of life area. It's, well, when I used to have more time or less pressure or didn't have all these demands... um, Back when I had energy and imagination and freedom, gosh, God, if you could just take me back to that place, then then I could listen to you and serve you like I used to. Or God, before you brought this brutal disappointment, before the realities really started hitting in life, that that was good with you back then. I, I had a sense of mission and hope and accomplishment with you. Stage of life. Sometimes it's actually... Ministry or the church or the connection we had with God that we look back on nostalgically. It kind of goes, well, boy, back then I, I got to use my gifts and my passions in that church. And that, that pastor, he, he was really good because he taught more about this stuff. And, and gosh, that music, I, I really could connect with God because that music was good back then, more, more my style. God, I, I wish you would take me back to there. I used to have effect on people. I, I seem less fearful to talk about my relationship with you. You know that when I first got in that youth group, that, that was really good, but it's just not working for me now, God. I wish I could go back. Before I took that risk with you, God, when things didn't really work out, that, that was a good time for me. Or maybe it's your work. Your work, you, you think, gosh, connecting with God, listening to God, making Him a priority, if I didn't have all the politics, the pleasing, the promotion, the pushing, that just drains me. And God, I used to have work that didn't drain me. If you just take me back there, you know, I, I, could, I could listen to you, I could follow you, I could serve you. Or maybe it's people, specific people or Relationships. Maybe there used to be a a neighborhood, a small group, a, a work group connection that just you loved it. It was favorable. Your best friend was there. Your mentor was there. And now geography's changed, time changed, and I don't feel like I have the support. God, that used to be good. I really could have served you back then. Maybe it's your marriage. You know, our marriage used to just It had life, and, and we both were kind of connecting to want to follow God and listen to where he was calling us and what he was having us do, but actually it feels a little dull, and there's desperation in it more so, and I just can't get my eyes off of that problem and on to you, God. You see, we, we can tend to do false nostalgia, too. I think what we're really saying in it sometimes is is that it it wasn't God that was good and giving life back then. It was the things he gave us that were life-giving and good. And you see, he calls that idolatry, unfortunately. He wants us in every circumstance, in every place to see him as good and present. He doesn't discount the reality of changing circumstances and difficult times, but he's still there. He's still powerful, and he doesn't want the good gifts and the good times to get, away, get in the way of the good God. So I ask you, there's a question I wanted to put up here and just pause right right in the middle of the sermon here. The question is this, is there a what used to be that you are deeply discouraged by or longing for again that brings tension into your relationship with God? In a room this size with this many people, there's all kinds of different stories here as they relate to God. And I don't have the time to call each one out. I tried to highlight a little real one right in a little marriage in Lebanon, Ohio. But we've all got them. And some people are really taxed by this. You've been wounded, you've been hurt, you've had this look-back posture of, I wish it could be like it once was. And maybe this morning not because I'm anything special, but just because we're on this topic, maybe you can connect with God in a fresh way on it and let him come powerfully into your soul and begin to work it out. Maybe you can give him access like you've never before. Maybe you've had good intentions to let God into that hard place, that nostalgic place, that wished it could have been place, but you really haven't done it. So let's just pause for a minute. I want to pray us through that. Let's just pray. Lord, I, I pray for friends here right now because you give us the privilege, you're here. We don't have to wait till the end of the sermon to pray. Right now, I just pray if there's a stirring in the gut for a man, a woman, a, a young person, that they say, yeah, yeah, there, there is something that I think God's been tapping on my heart about that I I just don't give space to. It's, it's something that's blocked my energy for him, blocked my, my fullest surrender to him that doesn't let him touch the money side of my life or the time part of my life or this particular relationship or this impasse in my marriage. And Lord, I pray by your spirit you would come into that place and said, let me in there. Let, let's do some work there not all this morning, all not right now while this guy's praying, but let's do some work there. Let's map out getting after that so that you can live in the present with a hope for the future and not live in a discouraged, reminiscent, false nostalgic past. Help us in that way, Lord. Amen. So what do you do if you're stuck? We we prayed. That's something we should do. But I think there's an illustration as this story continues of what else can be done. So Haggai keeps on these people. In verse 4, he says this But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedech, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Just been doing a good job talking about be strong be courageous, be bold. He's given us great stories of that week by week. So I'm not going to cover that. I want to cover a couple other things that Haggai says here. The first thing he says is work, work. Our worship leaders today were up here talking about the importance of waiting on God, praying and waiting. And that is absolutely true. And there's a time to Do nothing and just pray and try to listen to how God's moving your heart in a situation. But because God's not always the one who operates the same way in a predictable way, I'm learning that more and more as I walk with God, there are times not to pray. And I think you know what I mean by that in the context. There's times not to wait and to just watch. There's times to get to work. That's what he's telling these people. They, I can imagine them as Haggai. Hey, well, we've been praying about it, Haggai. And he'd say, 18 years? There's a time to get to work on what it is that you know God has called you to address. And oftentimes it's the stuff that's behind the closed doors of homes and workplaces. Not building big things. Not killing people with odd spears. Just the simple stuff. The everyday common, we the remnant people stuff. We need to get to work. One guy says it this way. I, I love it. His name's Emerson. He said, The great majority of men are bundles of beginnings. The great majority of men are bundles of beginnings. He's saying that too often we can stop at good intentions and not follow through. And sometimes that's easiest to do with our relationship with the Lord because nobody really sees what's going on. Nobody else can really feel or sense or see the prompting of our heart like we do about things when the Spirit whispers messages or instructions or calls to follow Him into certain different things in our life. Another person says directly about this point in history, he says their discouragement however profound that it was as they looked back on a previous temple and really could h- hardly believe it could ever be like it used to be, that discouragement is not an adequate reason for neglecting God's leading and instruction. See, their hesitancy, their, their bundle of beginnings, if you will, here, is not much different than what I run into. I, another story of a person I've been working with, and, and he's really an authentic guy, shares very upfront. And we talk about different things, but we've centered on marriage and something he said he wanted to have a sounding board for, somebody to encourage, somebody to give some mentoring. And sometimes we get to a place where I think he and I both sense that, you know what, here's what I think God's saying. And it's on you to take that first step of talking with your wife, Or speaking her love language, or lovingly confronting something that you know could be a route to a nine and ten in your marriage. And there's been times, not one, probably a handful, where he's honestly said to me, Frankly, Ron, I'm okay with a seven or eight. And my heart kind of drops. I say, Oh, man, don't settle trust God in the present here to go for nine or ten yeah there's the tension of your faith and no you don't have to pray about it anymore no you don't have to wait to see what God might circumstantially work out in the next couple months because you said that two months ago you need to get to work take the risk and the unfortunate part is that the tension of that risk and if God will show up is too high for just leaving it at a seven or eight. The other thing he says here in this passage is not only work, but he says, I am with you. I am with you. You might ask the question, why is this temple thing so important? Well, it kind of is and it isn't based on where we live now in 2013. You see, the temple was a symbol, a physical structure a representation of the fact that God had seen fit to dwell among a chosen people. It wasn't that that's the only place he was present. In this passage alone, we see three or four times where he says, I'm present, and there's no temple. But it was that outward sign to show this special God is doing something special through a chosen people that will eventually route into many nations having opportunity for him to do special things through their people and their culture. So it's not so much that it's a specific place. In fact, God calls us a temple in this day. God kind of had this kind of progressive plan as you read the books of the Bible. He he would speak to people kind of from the heavens. And then he kind of moved to a mountain and he started speaking to this guy Moses, giving him instruction on how to lead the people. And then he says, I want to be present and speak to you through the tabernacle, a big tent that they would move around from place to place. And his presence would be abiding there with him through the tabernacle. Then he said, no, no, no. I'm going to allow you to build a permanent structure, a temple in one place, and I will be there present. But then he moved it even further. And he said, when they got past this time to the promised Messiah, he said, "I, I will give somebody that won't be invisibly in some place that's your emblem or structure of presence. I will send somebody with flesh and bone.'" That'll be me living among you in a point of time in history. But then he moved even further, and it's the time that we experience now. He said, It's not heavens, mountain, tabernacle, temple, or even me in the flesh. It's I live in you. You are my temple through the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer or follower of Jesus Christ and have seen him as the only gift that you can take to route yourself away from your sin unto an eternal relationship with him. The Holy Spirit lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I've told a story here before, and I'll tell it again because it's one of my favorite in regard to me trying to remember that, because I forget. It's a story of a friend named Mike. Mike's a professor I took some of his classes when I was going through some seminary. He's a blue-collar, plain guy, doesn't take on airs, tells very authentically the stories out of his own life and the struggles of being a remnant as just a common person. And he tells a story that I can relate to because I've had three teenage daughters. Two of them no longer are, one still is. And he had a daughter. And this daughter and him, their personalities... They were the hardest one of his kids. This one was. A lot of tension seemed to always be there between how they operated and how they were wired. And he tells them an instance when they had had a blow up. A fight. And she went into her bedroom and slammed the door. And as a father that doesn't want to be passive, wants to be timely, wants to be present, he wants to address this situation. But he's outside the room and says, now Lord, here I am. He's he's telling us his prayer to God. Here I am. I I need you. I need your help. I want to go in there and I want to reconcile. I want to connect. I want to bring peace to the situation. I want to minister to my daughter. I want to listen to her. Help me. I'm going in there. He goes in there. Guess what happens? More fireworks. The door slams by him this time coming out. He's a bit bewildered in his authenticity before God. Got it. I prayed, I I said I I needed you, I was going in there. And at that point, for all of his theological learning and understanding, he felt like God was reminding him through a whisper. And the Lord was saying to him, but Mike, you left me out here. I wanted to go in there with you." you. See, it's a subtlety. In his mind, he was thinking he had a job to do. And he was either going to do it or not. And he would get some support from God before he went in. Pray, ask for it, say the right words. But mentally, he really wasn't taking the Lord in with him. Who could be there working through the situation even as he talked to her. Maybe giving him pause. Maybe giving him new words. Maybe giving him a different posture. Maybe giving him humility with his daughter. But the way he had it pictured, the Lord was still outside and he would go report in. That's not what we get to live. He's with us. The question is, is he resident or is he president? There's a difference. Lastly, we've talked this morning about this whole idea of tension. Tension in a circumstance when God gets our attention. The tension of will we move beyond good intentions. The last point I want to make is the tension of having retention. Remembrance, recall. And that's what the last part of the Haggai chapter 2 passage talks about. He says, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, while, I once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And what is desired by all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this peace I will grant in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, he's speaking there about the present, the past, and the future all at once. The past? He's saying, Remember Egypt? I was your deliverer. I took you out of there. You are that people. You are a chosen people. I am your God. You are my people. The present, he says, my spirit, it's here. How many times do I need to say it? It's here. I'm with you. I'm in your present. Silver and gold, resources that you need to build a temple, to build a life, to get past something, To trust me, I got them all. I got all the resources. The silver and gold is all mine. Speaking to their present. He speaks to their future. He talks about what is desired of all the nations will come. There's a subtle hint there that what is desired is the Messiah, the one, the Prince of Peace, the one that will settle out all things, that will deliver all things for those who, by their own free will, would submit to him. He's what's desired. In fact, what he's screaming out, I think, to us in the modern day, in this season of Christmas that's upon us, when we're going to get a lot of deliveries or want people to deliver things for us, God's saying, I'm the deliverer. Let me be the deliverer. I'm a better deliverer than UPS. I'm better than USPS. I'm better than FedEx. I'm a better deliverer than Santa Claus. I'm better deliverer than the government, than your favorite political party. I'm a better deliverer than the 401k plan you have. I'm a better deliverer than the pornographic material you're looking at. I'm a better one than the romance novel you think you need to read. I'm better than the three glasses of wine that you feel like you got to have at the end of the day. I'm a better deliverer than the latest work accomplishment. I'm, I'm a better deliverer than even your spouse. I'm a better deliverer than even your hopes and dreams. Because if you'll delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. I may even change them in the midst to where the real dreams and real hopes that I know you need and want will become your reality. I'm the better deliverer. And as we end, I I just want you to look at three questions and I'm going to pray. But I ask you to look at these and really take them on before the Lord because he's here. He's present. Not because we're in something that tries to maybe mimic a temple, but because he's always here. Here they are. Number one, are you paying attention to the redo God wants to bring to your life? He's a good redo-er, but we've got to be open to his redo. Secondly, what in your life needs to cease being a good intention and become a let's get to work, you and God? Thirdly, Remnant, that's us. We're the carrier-ons. We're the ones who remain. We have the mark of Jesus Christ in us with the Holy Spirit. He says, remnant, are you willing to say to the deliverer, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I wrote it that way because that's a story that comes out of the New Testament. You see it referenced there of a man who had a son that convulsed, had evil spirits attacking him, And he wants Jesus' help. And he says to Jesus, If it's possible, would you heal him? And Jesus says, Whoa, 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 whoa. If it's possible? (laughs) With me and God, all things are possible. And the man so authentically and humbly responds, I know. I, I, I believe that, but help my unbelief. We can relate to that in our life. You believe it. You wouldn't come to a place like this if you didn't really believe the basic foundation of God mattering in life. But when it gets to the nitty-gritty of our actual circumstances, we need God to help our unbelief. But we need to invite him into that to show his power and his presence. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that you've connected with some hearts, with some souls here this morning in ways that I never could. That you've done it in such a way that people have been freeing a little bit of a a, po- a spot that's stuck they've knows always been there that's kind of blocking their relationship with you or moving to the next level with you and maybe this morning by the goodness and the mercy and the grace of your Holy Spirit they're opening it up a little bit again or maybe for the first time to say I don't have any idea what that'll look like but come in here God do and speak to me what I need done and told And help me to stay with you in that. If it's a relationship, if it's a a hard faith step, if it's an endurance to stay in something that you're saying they need to stay in. If it's taking something that they have buried in the past that's so discouraging, challenging, difficult that they just almost don't even want to see it and touch it again and yet it's affecting their relationship with you, help them to go back and touch it and deal with it in the community of faith with people that can love them accept them, and talk it through to get them to a different place. Lord, we know from history that in four years, after 38 years of nothing quite happening much, in four years that temple was rebuilt. They heard Haggai, and they got to work. They believed in a God who's a deliverer to their present circumstances and the one that they could put hope in for their future. May we be that kind of people to allow you to build those reconstruction projects in our own lives. And I pray through your son, amen.